You're listening to Faith-Based Mental Health, a weekly podcast designed to bridge the gap between spirituality and psychology. Welcome to Faith-Based Mental Health. I am your host, Pastor Colt Wagner, and I am here with my co-host, Dr. Ron. How are you today, Dr. Ron? My sins have been paid off. The old man is laid off. I won't take a trade-off or go to jail like Bernie Madoff because the devil has stayed off. That's how I'm doing today, Colton. How are you? Dang, I cannot top that. I'm, I mean, I'm good. Like, <laughs> where do you go from there? I mean, that was, that was solid. I'm, I'm good. And uh, yeah, I'm going to leave that rap into you. That was, that was good stuff. Um, so on our last episode, you may remember we talked about how to fight fair. And we discovered that there was so much to talk about on this topic. Uh, surprise, surprise. There's a lot of ways to fight. There's a lot of uh, suggestions to be given about fighting. And so we decided we'd have to do at least a part two. So this is how to fight fair 2.0, I guess. So are you ready to talk some more about fighting fair? I love the topic and I am ready to talk about it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, it's, it's probably one of those topics that, you know, could possibly never end just like how some fights feel like they could never end. Um, Tell me about it. Although they can, I I have confidence that they can. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about, um, the relationship between two things, this idea of fighting fair um, and how pride can take a role in that and kind of hinder fighting fair. I feel like a lot of people, when they argue and they fight, um, I've known some people like this, <laughs> no names, but they struggle to admit when they're wrong. And I feel like pride plays a factor in that. So what role does all of that play in trying to fight fair and resolve conflicts? Yeah, it's kind of like the idea of self-preservation being built in, you know, to one's coping skills. It's really hard to be selfless. It's really hard to say, I'm going to put your needs ahead of mine. But in a marriage, it requires both partners to put the needs of the other person ahead of theirs. You know, and there's life events that predispose us to being, I guess the term is, is selfish. And I'm convinced that the vast majority of the people who get divorced in this world, it's because of that specific issue. It's not because of infidelity. It's not because of communication challenges, although they all say it's communication challenges. It's, it's not for a whole host of problems. It's that it's very difficult to say you matter and you matter to me more than I matter. And I, I'm willing to accept less if it means you accepting more. And that policy only works when both people are willing to do it. Right, because say one party in this marriage, one spouse, um, kind of gets that and is along for the ride on that and is putting the other one first, but the other one is not ever doing that. I mean, don't you just have a situation there where eventually the one just feels like they're walked all over? 
Yeah, it can definitely lead to that. And in fact, it creates an unhealthy system and the unhealthy system can feed into this almost narcissism within the, uh, we, we throw that term around too loosely these days. So I guess selfishness is probably a better term, but we need to look at people who are challenged with being selfless with a a degree of grace. You know, they say human behavior makes sense in context. We just have to zoom out the lens far enough to see what's really going on in their lives. You know, there are three types of people in the world. There's the sheep, there's the guard dogs, and then there's the wolves. Wolves? Wolves? What's the plural of wolf? Wolves? I I believe it's a V, so wolves. Okay, the wolves. (laughs) You're the doctor. Come on now. Ah, they dance (laughs) with the wolves. Yeah, the movie. Come on. You know, and it's, it's nice to be kind of protected and to be a sheep, to feel like you can let your guard down because there's someone in the home protecting you. And that's what a child really needs. They needs to be, they need to be protected. They need to be loved and cherished and structure built into their life. But when the person who is supposed to be the guard dog turns around and bites the sheep, then the whole world feels unsafe. When the guard dog turns out to be a wolf in guard dog's clothing, it's worse than a wolf in sheep's clothing because it makes us feel like nothing is safe and nobody has my back. And it gets ingrained from a very early age. And people who have this mentality have a coping skill that says, essentially, I'm going to get mines. I got to look out for number one. Because uh, nobody cares about your career the way you care. All of these catchphrases that we use to justify a level of selfishness have been developed over time to help people just survive. And so when we look at selfish people, we have to look at them with an air of grace and, and help them to see the need for humility. And there's a way that I go about this, and it's to bring them to a place of understanding what grace looks like. You know, when you stare into the face of an almighty God, the creator of the known universe, it kind of makes it hard to be selfish. And so I think that what a lot of people who struggle with selfishness and with narcissistic symptoms and tendencies I think a lot of them are in desperate need of a spiritual awakening, but the problem is that they've been preconditioned to not even trust God, Mm. to believe that, you know, God is not necessarily engaged or care about their life. And they, even if they say they believe him, but they act as if he doesn't exist, uh, then it kind of predisposes them to selfishness and it makes it very difficult to be married. So this, uh, so it really comes back to an issue of not trusting, of not feeling safe. And when you have that, basically, and we're not trying to just, you know, sound like preachers here, but if I'm understanding you right, um, if I was going to really give it a basic look, the answer is God. Yeah, imagine that, just like in Sunday school. <laughs> you, you, you know, 
I feel safe in this squeaky chair that I'm sitting in right now. I feel safe because I've sat in it so many times that I've determined that it's reliable, that it can hold me up. And, and so I've developed a level of trust in this chair, you know, and, and trust is just consistent patterns of behavior, excuse me, reliable patterns of behavior demonstrated consistently over a period of time. So trust becomes reliable patterns of behavior demonstrated consistently over a period of time. So here's, so if, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Well, the problem is how many times does this chair have to break and me fall on my head before I start checking every single chair I sit in? Once. I, I suppose it depends on how hard I hit my head. <laughs> and whether it becomes a viral YouTube video or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is the way it is in relationships, particularly when our high chair is broken. You know, the chair we have as a child. Right. Um, and, and, and we fall and we hit our head. Uh, and we find ourselves, you know, in a place of despair, you know. So if if I'm with someone who's really struggling with this trust element, I mean – Basically, one of the things I can do is give them reasons to trust me. And as that happens over time, they're going to see that, you know, I'm not the abusive dad they had or whatever the, you know, whatever the person is that is the reason they don't have trust. Am I kind of hearing you right? I think that's a start. That's a start. Now, I guess we do have to touch on the real clinical narcissism for a second, because there are people in this world who suffer from narcissism and the prognosis for these folks is not good. Um, and unfortunately the people who love narcissists often become part of the system that keeps them locked into their symptomatic behavior. And really what these people need often is distance and professional help. Um, and so sometimes love, you know, requires us to allow people the space to heal. And then it becomes a question of when does narcissism cross over into abuse? And when it does, then it's another question of, okay, now I need to find an exit plan. You know, we, we talk a lot about the divorce problem in the world, over 50% of marriages ending in divorce. We don't really talk about, you know, the reason for those divorce problems. Christians specifically tend to ask, uh, is it a sin to divorce in this situation or that situation? And I think we probably need to have an episode that talks about that. But I think it's kind of the wrong question. I, I think the question has to be at the beginning. If we have a marriage problem. Uh, there are too many people who... You know, say to themselves, Oh, I love this guy. I could just marry him. And they never slow down to ask themselves, Should I marry him? And the challenge is, narcissists, you know, they're like that fruit in the Garden of Eden. They often look very well put together, they look very attractive. Uh, and sometimes it takes a lot of actually getting to know them and getting to know them within time and context before we can realize whether or not this is someone I can make a life with. So, you know, part of the problem is cutting it off before it becomes too far down the road. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and on that, you know, we released a, a podcast, an episode where we talked about how to avoid falling in love with a jerk. Um, and so, you know, if and again, you know, we're not advocating for divorce, but if you're someone who's not married, certainly, and you're you know hearing what we're talking about, uh, narcissists and things like that, and how it's really a matter of hey, you need to pay attention on the front end and know who you're dealing with. Um, maybe you should go check out that episode. But um, I want to ask a question because I feel like this word narcissist gets thrown around a lot. Like, oh, that guy's conceited. He's a narcissist. Um, what does that What does that actually mean? Like, how you know? Say I'm wondering if my spouse falls into that category. How can I tell? What are some signs that I'm actually with a narcissist? Well, there's a lot. I mean, you can Google this this subject, and there are a lot of pundits who would weigh in on on this. And I don't necessarily want to add to the cacophony of opinions on this. What I would suggest is that they get professional help. And one of the ways they can do so is through the Serenity Care Counseling Program, where you actually connect to an actual therapist. You know, you can call someone a narcissist and it's just a mean word or something to hurt them until they actually have a clinical diagnosis. And so the clinical diagnoses are found in the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. Uh, we're at uh, version five now. So a person could easily, you know, Google that, look that up. But I don't want to be that you, you can actually Google, you know, uh, five ways to know that your partner is a narcissist, but that's not necessarily a scientific. And that's why I'm pretty careful with that term. You need to have a true clinical diagnosis, diagnosis by a professional um, before you can say someone is for sure, you know, narcissistic. It, it, and the reason why I'm very hesitant is because the prognosis is so bad. Narcissists mm. tend, to, when you have the clinical di- diagnosis, generally speaking, they don't get better like their mm. entire life. Wow. You wow. know, so I think we need to be careful about labeling someone that way um, too, too soon. Right. So, yeah. And I, so it would be the, the one who is in question that needs to speak to that therapist in order to yeah. be diagnosed or not, right? Yeah. However, I can tell a selfish person from a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think probably every human being has an element of that, you know, if we're being honest. Yeah. And that can change based on the context. And that's some, right. something that you can work through. But a word of caution, um, you cannot be, I'll probably have to say this a bunch of times, <laughs> you cannot be someone's teacher or surrogate therapist and be their lover at the same time. Mm. In fact, we have laws prohibiting both of those. <laughs> right? So, yeah. yeah you and can't. so we have... <laughs> Yeah, we have to be really careful about diagnosing our lover, right. you know, and trying to treat them. Uh, and we have to be careful about trying to teach them. A lot of us get in trouble when we say, I can change him or, you know, she'll grow out of it or something to this effect. And maybe she will and maybe he will, but you're not necessarily going to be his therapist or his teacher making that happen. You'll be a support element for him and his best friend in all of this, but you can't be a surrogate therapist. Yeah. And I do want to reiterate, you know, if you're saying that and you're on the front end, like I remember when I was in high school, I knew several people who 
uh, it was like their goal was to change someone through dating them. In uh, in the Christian world, we I, I believe I've heard this called missionary dating. Don't. <laughs> like if you're on the front <laughs> end of that and you're like, yeah, he can change. He'll change for me or she'll change for me. Uh, just walk away from that situation because you're setting yourself up for failure. And I'm, you know, would you agree with that? That's, that's yeah, I wouldn't say give up on them. You know, uh, you have to, you know, uh, refer back to some of the things we talked about in the earlier podcast about how to select a proper mate. You have to yeah. decide what you're willing to wait on yeah. in terms of their self growth and self improvement and things that by contrast, are core values uh, that you cannot wait on, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm not saying under any circumstances, like, you know, give up on someone. I'm kind of someone who believes in giving people a lot of chances because I just believe in people. I believe uh, in, in human nature and that, you know, that, yes, we're flawed, but um, that, that we can prevail. But what I do mean is if you're in a really bad dating relationship and you're like, well, he'll change, he'll change. Um, that maybe it'd be better if you took a break because yeah. they might not be the one, you know, but maybe you can help them in another way, but not by trying to date them and, you know, change them cause they love you type thing. Yeah. And then if they become the one, then glory to God, you know, it's awesome. Uh, but if they're not the one then they're not the one, one absolutely absolutely we'll have to do another uh talk on that you know the one but um so i want to ask another question um and this is kind of rooted in scripture as you know a lot of the things we talk about are uh ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love and so i wanted to ask uh you know this verse says some pretty amazing things on humility I wanted to ask, how does humility play into this conversation on uh, conflict resolution, on fighting fair? How does humility play into that? Yeah, I'll just invite people to tune in to our podcast that's forthcoming that talks about how do you really know that you love someone? Uh, you know, we can unpack that and we'll do a, a, a series from first Corinthians 13, where we unpack all of those adjectives. But the bottom line is you cannot love someone without a sense of humility. You, you just, you just can't um, any more than you can save yourself with a sense of your own righteousness. Yeah. yeah. Right. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. Um, Good deal. So also I'd like to ask, um, so again, I'll just reiterate, you know, we talked about this on part one of this, uh, episode, these episodes on fighting fair, that what we're talking about is, I don't want to say based on, but certainly a lot of it's based in, uh, the book fight fair winning at conflict without losing at love by Tim and joy downs. And you can find that in the show notes to this episode. You can also uh, find that on serenitycarecounseling.com. Um, but I, I wanted to say that because in the book Fight Fair, uh, having thick skin is talked about as an extremely valuable asset in marriage and in fighting fair. And of course, when we say having thick skin, we're talking about kind of a level of mental toughness and, and you know, um, not too easily offended type of thing. Emotional toughness, maybe I could call it. 
Do you agree with that, that, that having thick skin is extremely important in fighting fair? And if so, can you kind of talk about that? Well, I don't think I would use the term thick skin uh, in the way that they do, but I understand what they're trying to say. <clears throat> and I would agree with the concept um, that the bait of Satan, there's a book called The Bait of Satan, uh, is becoming easily offendable. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people in the world who are looking for a reason to be offended. Mm. You know, yeah. the problem w with our mate is, again, it comes to that guard dog or, or wolf concept. You know, uh, they can hurt us more than anyone else can hurt us. And so the reason I wouldn't use the term thick skin is because it's kind of hard to penetrate thick skin, you know. Uh, we, we can be unoffendable, but also, um, in a sense, sort of penetrable, you know, in terms of being able to connect with one another. Um, I just kind of set a precedence with all of the girls that I dated prior to my wife, um, that we are just not going to be that couple that decides to just pick on themselves for fun. You know, we're not going to give ourselves occasion to be offended. Um, and there are some cultures and some family where that's great. You know, I, I know families where, you know, they say, oh, you're such an idiot. You're so dumb. Ha ha ha. Like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. How could you be so stupid to do that? You know, and they're there. They call it banter. Right. And, and uh, I just decided that that just is, is too laden with potential problems further on down the road. Yeah, it might be fun while you have the norepinephrine flowing and the dopamine flowing and the butterflies flowing. But if you establish that as a pattern of behavior, then you're setting yourself up to be offended. You know, so I don't know if, again, it's just coming back to whether or not thick skin is the one that really applies. I think the idea is that even if you do have thick skin, can I trust this person to not intentionally hurt me? Uh, and then secondly, am I the type of person that's walking around looking for offense? Because you'll find what you're looking for. If you want to mm. be offended, you can be offended. Um, right. But I don't think that's necessarily helpful in our relationships. Yeah. And I, I especially think what you just said is is extremely important, um, you know, about you're going to find what you're looking for. And I think that probably also plays a part in uh, fighting fair, because if you're and I'm probably a lot of us have done this before where we're looking for the negative, whether it's in our marriage partner or in somebody else that we're close with. If you're looking for the negative, you're going to have a lot of fights. You're going to have a lot of reasons to fight. And a lot of those are going to probably not be all that strong because you probably saw some bad things where you shouldn't have. Um, so yeah, yeah. I just wanted to spend a moment on that point of, of not looking for the negative, but instead seeing the good. Well, this has been a very fun discussion, Colt. And I'm looking forward to, in our next episode, unpacking some rules that will help us to fight fair. You know, I'm a fan of the UFC and, uh, it would be a brawl if it wasn't for the rules and then because of the rules, make it a sport. Um, so tune in next time where we're going to unpack some rules to help you fight fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll just end by saying um, 
If you feel like you've gotten any value out of this, you know, please go ahead and share this with someone who you think would uh, benefit from hearing it. Also hit that subscribe button. And if you're interested in contacting us in any way, uh, you can always do that through serenitycarecounseling.com. Thank you, Dr. Ron. And thank you, listener. We are looking forward to seeing you next time. Have a good day. Aloha. Aloha.